Welcome to Around Our Schools, an interview program about the educational opportunities in Clatsop County. I am Sarah Meyer. Margaret Fremuth makes the interview sound great. Today we hear from Craig Hoppus, the superintendent of Astoria 1C Schools, and Jenna Rickenbach, a school board member. Since 1854, schools have provided educational opportunities for students in Astoria. The district is one of the oldest in Oregon. Public schools continue to be supported and valued. In Astoria, there are five distinct schools. Astor School is for K through two, and Lewis and Clark School are for grades three to five. Astoria Middle School is for grades six through eight, and at Astoria High School for grades nine through 12. The district offices are at Gray School, along with the alternative ed classes. About 1,750 students take advantage of our public school system. We as taxpayers help finance that education by agreeing to pay about $4.83 per each thousand dollars of valuation of our properties. We also voted to pass a $70 million bond. We support education by attending events, helping and thanking students and staff for their work, volunteering as needed, and encouraging student success. So much has happened since taxpayers agreed to bond a $70 million improvement package for the schools in 2018. Today, we'll hear how that money is spent, what the district did during the lockdown, and how the restart is working. So let's begin. Superintendent Craig Hoppus, welcome. Will you tell us about yourself and your journey to becoming superintendent for Astoria School District 1C? Yes, first of all, thank you for having us today. We really appreciate the opportunity anytime we get a chance to talk about um, Astoria School District and the, the great work our staff does. Uh, we like to take advantage of it. So the question about my journey, I've, I started my 25th year in the school district this year. And I came here 25 years ago with my first administrative job as an, uh, a building administrator. And then for the last 14 years, I've been the superintendent. It's my 14th year as a superintendent. Um, not a lot of superintendents stay that long in districts, but I think when I moved here 25 years ago, um, fell in love with the community, the people in the community, and wanted my own kids to come through uh, the school district here. So as that happened and continued to like the community and um, like to provide opportunities and then the position provides challenges, but I'd rather do it here in this community than any other community. So were you an educator prior I was a high school business teacher. Uh -huh. I taught accounting and computers and things like that for eight years before I became an administrator. And I started here at the middle school for three years. I was the principal at Lewis and Clark for, I think, nine years. And then the rest of the time I've been superintendent. Well thought of by the boards. Thank you. So tell me what the job of superintendent is in Astoria. So the superintendent of the district, for um, people listening and then trying to find what it actually do, it's equivalent to like a CEO of a private business or a CEO of a corporation, I oversee the whole district. Um, from uh, hiring a staff, um, all human resource activities, um, to just making sure that the day-to-day -day operations of our schools work um, on a daily basis. One of the other big things I do is I carry out uh, policy that the district and the school board provides. and. Um, 
So the board, which are local community members, um, provide me policy, I carry out that policy based on what they want and what's best for kids. So um, not only the day-to-day -day operation of schools, but finding areas of improvement with our staff and students, uh, trying to meet the needs of a very diverse student population right now, even more diverse during the pandemic. Um, but um, I have great staff around me both at administrative level, teaching and support staff to help me um, provide all those services to those kids. So mainly it's just uh, um, oversee the whole district and all functions of the district. So do you make yourself available to individuals or board members on a fairly open area? I try to make myself available as much as I can. Um, I've had a hard time lately trying to get back to people just because our challenge is trying to stay in school. Um, but I had a parent stop by this morning and see me without an appointment and I saw her and try to keep communication with the board at a, on a consistent basis. There's been a lot of that in the last couple of years. Um, but I am um, part of many organizations in the community, Lions Club, been a past president, been the past president of Rotary, um, just many different organizations. I've been involved with the hospital and there are different committees they have. So I try to stay involved in the community. That provides good partnerships um, with the, the school district. So. I have heard good things. Good, thank you. Jenna Reckenbach. Welcome, you are on the 1C School Board. Will you tell us about yourself and how you came to live and work in Astoria? So I'm Jenna Rickenbaugh and um, I'm married to Jared Rickenbaugh. Our family has Rickenbaugh Construction. Um, and I came to Astoria. I had um, finished college and served a mission for my church. I had family who lived here. My grandma um, had cancer at the time and I came to help her and ended up meeting my husband and the rest of the story, I guess, is history. But uh, so that's how I ended up in Astoria. We joke because I haven't lived here as long as him, but I feel like I have deeper roots in the community with my family and their Scandinavian history and, and that, so. So can you tell us what a board member does for the students? So we look over policy and make sure that the policies that our school district is following are correct and that they are, um, up to date and follow the legal guidelines. And um, we also, I feel like, um, stay in touch with the community as well. And, you know, talk to parents and um, community members and learn the needs of our community. And um, also, when we're looking at policy, we've developed a system, we have an equity lens that we look at policy through so that we are making sure that our policies um, don't have unintended consequences and that they're helping all students and um, um, equitably distributed or put forth in our school district. We also, you know, oversee the budget and approve curriculum. I think that's in a nutshell <laughs> what we do. Do you spend a lot of time on boardsmanship and board meetings? It's been a, a learning curve from when I first joined the board. You know, I thought it would be one meeting a month or, and um, 
it's definitely more involved in that because first of all, I need to do my homework and really study the issues before us and the policies that we are looking at and making sure I have a good understanding. And so there's time outside the board and then also getting to know what how people are feeling. There's time involved with that. Um, there's also, I've served on the budget committee and so there's extra meetings for that. In the past then too, I've been on the bond oversight committee and so there's extra meetings through the month for those types of things and, um, and various, you know, when there's committees within the district, sometimes we like to have a, at least one board member on those committees to give input and um, so yeah, it's uh, a little more involved than um, you would first at a glance think. <laughs> yeah. I so appreciate the reality of serving not in any kind of paid position, but because of your support for students. I think that is primary for what makes good boardmanship. So, but it's not often that taxpayers agree to a $70 million bond to fix their public schools. Can you tell us how the school board came to the decision to ask for the bond support? Well, I think first of all, there were some very needed um, things within our school district and the buildings. Um, safety was one of the main things that we wanted to accomplish um, with our bond um, from the vestibules that were created um, to at the middle school when you walk through there was cracks and I remember gaps in the walls, gaps between the floor and the wall <laughs> and things that had created because of movement, you know, and I think seismic things, their uh, leakage from the years and there's just things that needed to be upgraded to make our schools safe for one, and then um, improve our learning atmospheres. At the middle school, we had rooms that had no light in them, <laughs> had no, you know, so just learning environment for our students. We had tracks that were in need of repair, and um, we also needed CTE spaces. Um, that's. Those are the main things that come to my mind, and in doing so, you know, as we discussed it, we were or just ending a bond, and so by starting this one, we weren't also asking the community to be paying a lot more than they already were at the time, and so it was a um, it was a good time to do that, and um, there's just a lot of necessary things that needed to be done within the schools. Craig is really good at reaching out to the community, and we had a lot of meetings with the community, and we brought people in on tours, and I think once people could see the schools and hear about the condition of some things, our community was very willing to um, step up and help with that. So. I think they had to be, and that it was proven and endorsed. That's wonderful. Craig, this last spring, Astoria residents received an annual bond report highlighting how that $70 million is being used. The report gave a total of local dollars spent by February 28th of 21 at $6.5 million, and most of that went to 12 local companies. 
Scanza has been the contractor for the project improvements at the school. How has that worked? Well, good, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up um, because Scanska has been our general contractor. In the pamphlet you mentioned, it was 12 um, local subcontractors, and that was important for the district when we started the bond process was to provide as much work as possible to any local contractors or electricians, plumbers that we could. Um, and Skanska has really worked side by side with us to make sure that as many local contractors um, would work and could work, and they have. Uh, Skanska in general has been great. I couldn't ask more for what they've done for us from a, a quality of work, as well as they've kept us on budget throughout the whole process. They're doing a lot of work in our community. Um, very impressed with uh, Skanska as, as we all struggle with worker shortage. There were times this summer where at the middle school they would have, have over 100 employees working on site just to get as much work as they could done for uh, the summer in, in preparation for the schools to start. So overall, we've been really pleased so the bond and the improvements go through 2023, so there's still ongoing work being done. Yeah, so I tell people at this point we're about 85% done with our bond work. Astoria Middle School has a brand new building, and um, it's a three-story instructional wing of our building. It replaced an older instructional wing. We've moved the kids into that instructional wing right now. The rest of the building is being uh, remodernized, remodeled as we speak. It's supposed to be done at the beginning of January. Um, the work at the high school, auditorium, remodeling, as well as I think they're doing some work in science rooms there, that'll all be done uh, by the beginning of January also. We have a few projects, uh, Astoria Middle School track and field as well as some work at Gray School, which you mentioned is the district office and alternative ed program, some work that will be completed there this summer. So at the end of this summer, our plan is to have all the work done this coming summer, 2022. 22. Mm -hmm. A little bit faster. Was some of the work being able to be done when we were closed down, that it kind of speed up things when students weren't around? Um, the unintentional of us not being able to be in session last year because of COVID was, is they were able to get some of the work that they didn't think they were gonna be able to get done until the summer, done during the school year. But um, they had a schedule in place prior to COVID that would have got the work done uh, in the summer of 2022 if we'd have been in session. And right now we're working, they're having construction work going on the same time kids are going to school, both at the middle school and the high school. And that was our plans all along. So you've worked around them and with them. Yes. Worked around them and with them. And we're about five or six months ahead of schedule from where we thought we were going to be. So that is some economies of scale for you then. Do you have any highlights that students and staff gained from having a construction going on around them? Is there any good parts of that? You know, like unintentional, um, well, I, I will say this, it's, um, there's some positives, there's also some challenges. A space is a challenge, because you're, you're working in construction areas that normally kids are in, so you're limited in space. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with kids seeing kids in construction, and I know they're having conversations with students about the construction workers, although for uh, health and safety reasons during the pandemic, they don't have any contact with kids at all. They're um, totally either in other areas that have no contact or they work, or the construction workers work swing shift. I had a, like a, a personal thing where I went to, to look at the different 
uh, remodeled areas at the high school and ran into a former student who was working for Skanska. So that was neat to see and uh, uh, had a really great conversation with him, making a good livable wage with Skanska. Uh, so there's just some stories like that that we have. That's great. Okay, let's move on to how the district has adjusted to educational offerings for students during the pandemic and this school year. Superintendent Hoppus, the closure of schools in March of 2019 and all of last year required monumental changes. Can you explain briefly how the district worked to meet the needs of its students? Yeah, thank you for that question. And um, you mentioned March 2019, and I think what people understood, and our parents were great, as well as students, is, is that we had like uh, probably about an eight hour notice that schools were being shut down. We all had heard about COVID, but not to the extent that where it actually shut us down. And so we spent quite a bit of time in March um, just trying to get kids through the school year with as much as we can on a remote basis. And then spent the summer, last summer, really concentrating our efforts on meeting the, trying to meet the needs of kids who were just totally in remote learning with uh, very limited, or if any kids, on school grounds. And I can tell you honestly, we, ch we struggled any time that we couldn't get kids in front of adults. It's not the same. And we understood that and we did the best we could based on what we were dealing with. Um, but we learned a lot. I think um, from a staff member standpoint, they learned an awful lot about technology in a short amount of time and they didn't have much choice but learn about it. Um, I think, um, I don't know if it's really much academic, but more of kids learned about independence, um, especially older kids. Um, there was things that they had to do now. They just couldn't show up to class and sit. They had to turn the computer on, get on the computer, listen to it, do their work at home. So there was some work skills and responsibilities and accountability they had to hold themselves to that they never have before. Um, we did the best we could uh, based on the situation that we dealt with. Um, we were unique in that um, we were able to still deliver uh, probably, I think, over 25,000 meals last year. I think probably more than that, but it was just a large number of meals. Um, we had challenges within our community of kids not having internet access. Um, so we created what we called our technology hubs throughout our, our schools, um, where we spread kids out in a gym. They're about 15, 20 feet from each other, had a computer to work on, um, just because they couldn't get internet at home. Uh, we passed out well over 2,000 uh, Chromebook computers to kids. Uh, we provided school supplies even though they were working from home. We provided school supplies for kids. So we did everything I think that possibly we could given the challenges that we couldn't be in front of people for a long period of time. And even when we came back in February, it was a challenge because we were limited at the time about how many kids you could put on a bus. You had to keep everybody six feet away from each other in a very confined area on a bus, even though you can open windows. So we were limited to putting about 20 kids on a bus. That's changed and we've learned a lot of things from that. Um, our class sizes were much smaller in all of our grades last year because a lot of parents still didn't feel comfortable with sending their kids to school. We also learned that there are some kids in our community that work better online than they did in person. We opened up what we call the Astoria Choice Online Academy and have about 83 kids in that academy right now that are working strictly from home and still are just like last year, but the program's a little bit different. Uh, those kids can still participate in extracurricular activities. It's just like another school building, but it's online. 
So we learned to do that online school. We wouldn't have done that if we wouldn't have uh, had been in the pandemic. So we learned a lot. Um, we like having kids back in school. It is different. It's better for kids to be back in school. We expect uh, making plans right now within the next month that we'll have an influx of more kids coming back once the uh, pediatric vaccines are available. And so we're preparing for that right now. Wow. And now this year, teachers and staff again adjusted to offer both online and in-person classes. So how do you see your schools functioning in the future? Will you continue like you're talking about your online academic school? And there will always be in Astoria, and I'm sure everywhere, a online version of instructional support for kids. Um, some districts have chosen not to provide online schools. We have, because we listened to parents and kids who said that they, they worked, some work better online. We had provided that option before for some of our high school kids that were in the alternative program that couldn't make it in every day because of work or something else. So we had already started doing that with some of our older kids. We'll provide that option, but I'll go back to what I originally said. For the majority of kids, 95% of the kids, they need to be in front of a, a trained professional adult and learn academics, as well as learn the social emotional part of being at school and getting along with others and those type of things. And just socializing, because a lot of kids didn't do that for the last year and a half. So that's all been. As a clarification too, right now, we're not asking teachers to do both online and in person, like, like last year, I think that was, kind of overwhelming for some of our teachers to manage both. And so our online school or program is, is separate. So it's run by separate teachers yeah, than staff, our- Yeah, we have staff just dedicated that online school. They don't run classes concurrent with the high school or with the elementaries, it's totally separate. So are those students from all grades that are on, online? K through 12, yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, and I think part of it is kids learn differently. Also, um, parents are not comfortable sending their kids back without a vaccine. We also have, to be honest, parents are not comfortable sending their kids back with a mask on. Until we can reconcile all that, we will still have the online school even after the masks are gone and people are get vaccinated. But we expect more kids in our schools. So are, are the students doing okay having been out of school or do you do, are you doing social or any other kind of adjustments for that? Yeah, so the district with some additional resources from the state as well as the federal government, we hired four now additional counselors. Um, that was our plan in place beforehand, but their jobs became even more important after the pandemic to support our kids. We're seeing more kids right now with social and emotional health problems. Um, because this has uh, been a difficult and scary time for a lot of people, including our kids. So not only do we have more counselors, we have we hired a what they call a social and emotional learning coach who provides supports for students, staff, parents for that matter, supports around social and emotional learning. I would also say one of the pauses that came out of kids being online last year was all staff were required to teach type emotional, social, emotional type lessons to kids to help them on how to deal with it. And those continued even now when kids are in session on a daily basis. So with your students needing more emotional help, does that cut into the heart and the bread of education of the math and reading and, and writing? Um, we, what we try to do, and we try to look at it this way, is you try to incorporate all that into your other learning opportunities, whether it's 
reading, books at the high school level. We try to incorporate, it's one of the reasons why we hired a social emotional learning coach was to incorporate some of those emotional, social type concepts into the everyday curriculum that kids uh, participate in. So, and that's different, that's a challenge, but it's something we're trying to do. I think part of that is um, understanding. So if there's a student working on math or science and they're having a hard time accessing their learning or engaging in it, it's the understanding that really, <laughs> we've all been through a traumatic experience and we're all coming back with some form of trauma. And for a teacher or staff member to understand what's going on with that student and be able to have the tools in their toolbox to be able to help that student bridge that gap and be able to access their learning and that's so some of these I think aren't necessarily even always lessons that the teacher is teaching the student it's also the the staff members understanding and having tools of their own um, to help students access their learning in a time where they've all experienced trauma we ask a lot of our teachers, don't we? We do. Mm -hmm. And they are standing up for it. Mm -hmm. Well, Jenna, can you share some of the policy decisions and the long-range plans the school board is considering? Going along with what we've just talked about, students having missed school and having had this trauma experience, I think all of our decisions have been for the time being, have been based around keeping students in school. We really want to provide something consistent for our students and um, keep them in school where they're learning the best. And so I think a lot of our decisions have centered around that, especially our budgetary decisions. So that's kind of the main I think focus of our decision making is to keep students in school. I think a lot of them are excited to be at school and very happy to be with their friends and their teachers. And at the last board meeting, they reported that our attendance is really good <laughs> right now. And I think that shows that um, we're also entering a strate another strategic planning process. So to really gauge where our students are and what our needs are moving forward. and. Um, as I mentioned earlier too, we look at our policies through an equity lens and um, making sure that we're serving everyone's needs. And um, there's just a lot to that. And as Craig mentioned, the social emotional learning, that's something we decided to do as a district. And I think it's an opportune time for that because we do have students with emotional needs and being able to have tools to help them and help them learn better. Am I missing anything? No, I think so. Okay. <laughs> so Craig, as the overseer of all that happens at the school district, what keeps you so positive? And if wishes were granted, what would be the most benefit for students today? Um, so what keeps me positive, as long as we can keep kids in school, that's a good thing. I enjoy going more so now than ever going to schools and seeing kids interact with each other as well as interacting with adults in person. In education, that's the best thing that can happen. And um, kids are getting social skills that they haven't had in the last year, year and a half. So that part is, that part is good. Uh, what I think would most benefit our students today if all wishes were granted, although I think a pandemic is a new normal, 
I wish the normal could be a little easier for kids. They're dealing with a lot right now, especially our young kids and our older kids, just things that they've lost over the last year and a half. I guess just to bring some normalcy to their life so they can be kids. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to hear about Astoria Schools. Would you give us a contact phone for questions? Yeah, so contact phone could, would be um, just the Astoria School District office phone, and that is 503-325-6441. Um, what a good beginning for our learning about the schools and programs within the Astoria School District. Next month, we are speaking with educators at Astor and Lewis and Clark Schools. Our K-5 grades are the foundation for student success. KMUN posts all our interviews and they can be accessed on their website and then click on the podcast around our schools. Margaret Fremuth and I, Sarah Meyer, so appreciate this radio station as it helps us all better understand community.